I'm so thankful to be going through this book of Galatians. I had somebody in the church yesterday say, man, I've learned so much going through the book of Galatians. And uh, we are in Galatians chapter 6, um, 7 through 10. And just to kind of give a lay of the land, next Sunday, the 11th, um, your chair elder, uh, Scott Aberderis, will be preaching that Sunday. And he's going to do a sermon out of James. And then on the 18th, uh, Pastor Robert will be preaching. And he's going to use the event of Philip and the eunuch. And then on the 25th, I'll be back here with Stephanie. And we'll finish the book of Galatians, okay? So that's kind of the lay of the land. I titled this Facts, Context. Oh, oh yeah, children are dismissed to children's church. See, I wasn't done. I wasn't done. There they go. Woohoo! Yeah. So I've titled this Facts, Context, Dilemma, and Application. It might sound like a really funny title, but really all it is is just taking each one of these verses, and in verse 7, you will find, will find the facts. In verse 8, we'll find the context. In verse 9, we'll find the dilemma. And in verse 10, we'll find the application. So that's the reason behind that title. Doing this review, I'm sure that some of you can say this back to me now. Uh, chapter 1 and 2 were about the man, and his name is Paul. Paul, and Paul was all about discipleship. His method was discipleship. Chapters 3 and 4 was all about the message, diving deep in the message, and the message is the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus has come. And then chapters 5 and 6 is what we're in right now, is the manner how in how we should live as those who are saved and the manner of life. And on the top of that list is love. Our motive is love. So even going through the book of Galatians, we see the purpose statement of our church. We just kind of brought it down into real terms, but our message is Jesus. And our method is discipleship. And our motive is love. Now, a little more review, because we've been going through these different manners the first one we find in 5.10. The first half of the verse says, I am confident that the Lord, that you will take no other view. No other view. Well, what is the view? It's not the show. Okay. What is the view? The view is salvation in Christ alone. That you have no other view. Nothing less, nothing more. It is your salvation has come through Christ alone. We hold on to that. The second manner is that we live by the Spirit. In 525, it says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we're led by the Spirit. We're tethered to the Master. Manner number three, we find in 6.1, when it says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. The third thing is to restore him gently. And when we went through this passage, we realized that he gave the ones who are spiritual, more instruction than the ones that are caught in a sin. Okay? Then the next one, manner number four, two weeks ago, is 6.6 six that I already read. Anyone receives instruction from the word, must share all good things with the instructor. We share all good things. And we pointed out in that one, there's two sides. There's two people involved. There's those that are giving and those that are receiving. And then today we're going to add number five, in 6.10, it says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Do good to all people. And we're going to see through this passage 
We need to have the proper context when we say that. Okay, so back to verse 7. Back to verse 7. Here are the three facts. The three facts. We're going to take them one by one. Do not be deceived. That's fact number one. Do not be deceived. Don't be led astray. Don't be astray from orthodoxy or astray from truth. And back in 3.1, we see, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you or who has deceived you? So we realize that we can be deceived by others. That rest of that verse says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He says, what we know is that Jesus was crucified. How, how come you're following people that, that are saying something that you need a little bit more than that? So we can be deceived by others. The second one that we can be deceived by, and this is just one verse of many verses we could have pulled from, is 1 Corinthians 3.18. It says, do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. Not only can we be deceived by others, we can be deceived by ourselves. The third one for the trifecta here is we can be deceived by Satan. And we go to John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking about Satan. And it says in verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we can be deceived by others. We can be deceived by ourselves, and we can be deceived by Satan. And, and that made me think of going all the way back to the beginning here in Galatians, or Genesis 3. Adam and Eve are told they could eat of any tree of the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what did they do? They listened to the serpent, Satan, instead of listening to God. And when God comes on the scene in verse 13, it says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And listen to the woman's response. The woman said, The serpent deceived me. And I ate. The great deceiver. The great deceiver. Second fact, God cannot be mocked. God cannot be mocked. Many times phrases have images that are tied to them, and it really means turn your nose up at. Turn your nose up at God. You might say, you can't pull the wool over God's eyes. You might say, you can't get anywhere out of his sight. You realize that when you're talking about God, you can't say, well, while in Vegas, it, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Okay, you can't say that to God. You can't think that something behind closed doors it, he does not know about. You can't mock him that way. And in that little book of Jude, just before Revelation, he's, he tells us that the mocking of God will be increasing. Will be increasing. So Jude 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers or mockers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. God cannot be mocked. Last fact, a man reaps what he sows. Maybe another way of saying it, a man harvests what he plants. A man harvests what he plants. 
It's a universal law of God that he has given to us. It's agricultural in its, in its uh, setting because that's what they were. They were agricultural society. But we understand this. If you plant, an, if you plant apple seeds, you get an apple tree and you might be Johnny Appleseed, okay? If you plant corn seeds, you get a corn stalk. If you plant beet seeds, you get beets and make sure to eat the greens. If you plant broccoli seeds, you get broccoli. Everybody say ugh. Ugh, okay. If you plant bean seeds, you get what? Beans, and you might get something else later on, okay? But the image is of something going from smaller to larger. Something going from smaller to larger, seed to plant. Also, the image of something maturing. There's something maturing that's going on here. Now, so we've got these three facts. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That takes us to verse 8. Now we need to know the context in which the, you use this law. A man reaps what he sows. What's the context? He gives us two sides. He says, the one who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. That's the one side. The other side, the one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So he wants us to apply this universal law of God. A man reaps what he sows to the spirit and to the sinful nature. And he's been laying that out. If we go back to chapter 5, verse 16, when he said this, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. He's put those side by side. In verse 19, he says, okay, let me tell you about the acts of sinful nature. And then he gives a whole big list of them. And then in verse 22, then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and then he gives a list of them. Many times we go back to Romans, and this verse you've probably memorized. If you went to vacation Bible school, you probably... Probably memorize this one. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see them side by side again, side by side. Here's the whole point, is that sin grows and sanctification grows. So if you're feeding the sinful nature, even if you think it's little, it's like a seed. Oh, it's not a big sin. It's a really small sin. Nobody even knows about it. It's not going to affect anybody. You know, it's, it's kind of okay. It's kind of okay. We used to call them a what lie? A white lie kind of thing. Yeah, but what God says, uh, 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 that little seed of sin is going to do what? It's going to grow. Same thing on the other side. Sanctification, growing in Christ. It's the same way. You might say, oh, this, I, I, there's nothing I can do for God. You know, or that little thing or, or, or an opportunity maybe that you pass up. Well, that wasn't much anyways. God is saying, no, 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 no. Plant that little seed of faith. Plant that little seed of that act in the spirit because what's it going to do? It's going to grow. It's going to grow. So now we got the context. Let's go to the dilemma. And Pastor Paul is a good pastor because he's going to push his people to the right way, the right response. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. So if you stop right there, if you're doing good, you could become weary, okay? You could become weary. Why? Because doing good takes work and effort. It does. 
If you're doing good, it's going to tax you sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally, sometimes mentally. It's going to tax your time. It's going to tax your resources. Those things will happen. Now, I always have to give the caveat here. When I'm talking about doing good, he's talking to saved people who are saved. And you are been saved to be able to do good works in the name of God. You are not saved by your good works. You are saved by one good work. And it wasn't done by you. It was by God sending a son to die on a cross for your sins. That's the good work that saves you. But after you are saved, he gives you opportunity to do these good works. But Paul tells us we could become weary in doing those good works. Then he says, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In the proper time, I put down there, this is the principle of delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. We don't know what that is anymore. Because we're an instant society. You're like instant oatmeal, right? We, fast food is not fast enough. You can order it on, on your phone so that you can pull up or walk in there and grab your bag and go kind of thing. We don't want next day delivery. What do we want? Same day delivery. Yeah, we're an instance. But he says in this realm, there's a delayed gratification. At the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. So again, here's another one. It's possible to give up on doing good things. So it begs the question, how do we do this? How do we not get weary? And how do we not give up? And I love this passage of scripture because it just goes bang, 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 bang. So we go to verse 10. Here's the application. He says, I'm, I'm going to tell you how. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, that word for opportunity means when it's favorable, when it's fitting, and a fixed time. Now, what I've seen over time is that opportunity that you have changes over your life. So if you're a teenager or you're in college, that opportunity is just wide open. And you are able to do things that, that later on you might not be able to do. And so lots of times you'll see teenagers and you'll see kids in college go off to other countries and go on mission trips and, and things like that. The, the opportunity is like wide open. They've got loads of time uh, on their hands. And, and so that opportunity is big. But then you get married and you have kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that it, what seemed like a huge opportunity in that sense kind of shrinks. It kind of comes down. And now your opportunity is those children. Those children that are under your household. They're your primary responsibility to bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that you couldn't do anything outside of that, but, but you'd want it to be favorable fitting. And a fixed time. You want to make sure that, okay, God has laid something here that I can work on beyond the priority that I have in my household kind of thing. But in light of what it was before when I was a teenager or in college, this is different. And then you get to my age and you get to be empty nesters. And, and guess what? The opportunities open back up again. Or it seems like it, it broadens. And now you're like, whoa. God, I've got all this extra time. And usually I have more resources too at this time. I got more resources I can work with at this time. Now, the sad thing and the warning is 
that we have bought into retirement. And we've bought into and we've brought that into the church and we've brought that into the Christian life. There's no retirement in following God. None whatsoever. And a lot of times with that retirement comes comfort. I, I, I start worshiping comfort more than God and what God gives. And so I think there's lots of times that we in this stage miss a lot of opportunities because we're worshiping the God of comfort rather than the God of heaven. That's just a little warning. And I'm, that's me too. But then you get to the end of life or toward the end of life. Now, my dad's 93. My mom's, my in-laws are 94, 95. And wow, their world is shrinking. Their world is getting smaller. The opportunities seem very limited, but I pray for them every day. I pray that they would find joy and they would find an opportunity where they could somehow reach out with Jesus to someone else. Realizing that that might just be meals on wheels coming in and the, the person that brings the meals. You know, it's, it's probably going to be a smaller thing. But to realize that that changes over time. So uh, I put down there Matthew 28, 19. Uh, this is not an obsessive thing. Matthew 28, 19 says, go and make disciples of all nations. Um, and understanding that to be that as you are going, part of your life, as your, your daily things, as you're going, make disciples. Look for those opportunities. Then the second part, therefore, if we have opportunity, let's do good to all people. I wonder what all means. You think it means all? I think it does. I think it does. The Bible is very big against prejudice, favoritism, and one over another. Very big on that. So let me, uh, in Galatians, in Galatians we had that scene with Paul and Peter. Peter came to see Paul. He was so excited about the Gentile Christians who are coming to faith in Christ. I mean, he's eating with them. He's rejoicing with them. He's praising the Lord with them and everything. He's just overwhelmed by this. And then the Jewish Christians come. And what does Peter do? Peter leaves the Gentile Christians, and out of fear, he goes to the Jewish Christians. And what does he do? He, it's prejudice. It's favoritism. He, he makes a distinction between the two. And what does Paul do? Paul stops him and says, wait a minute, this is wrong. This is wrong. Or listen in 328, the verbiage here that he gives. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. They're all one in Christ Jesus. Go to the book of James. And this is not where Scott's going to preach from. But it's so plain here. James chapter 2, verse 1 says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. I don't know how clear you can get than that. Don't show favoritism. And then what follows is he gives a little example. You know, you got a rich person coming into the church, you got a poor person coming into the church. And how do you treat do you treat them the same? If you don't treat them the same, wait a minute, you're showing favoritism. And then if I jump to verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin. Pause. Play it again, Sam. If you show favoritism, you sin. 
Man, that's blatant. And you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Let me give you another one. I, I'm, I'm really hanging right here, but 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21, Paul tells him, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these th instructions without partiality. So the in very words of God, the instruction from God, don't, don't pick and choose. Don't pick and choose. And do nothing out of favoritism. There it is. One more time. Then let's go back to Jesus in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, these famous words from him, verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, get to the head of the line. No, that's not what he says. No, no. If anyone wants to be first, he must be very last. And while you're last, grumble, complain, mope, throw a pity part. No, he doesn't say that either. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of, anybody know the word? All. Yeah, the servant of all. So therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people. And especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Especially to those. Now, so you see these going from general to specific. So all would be general. Specific would be the family of believers. We are to have a special place in our, in our lives for the church family. And it, for a couple reasons here, we're going to be with them for eternity. But also, we're kind of like the test dummies. And we're the guinea pigs. Okay, the kind of love that we have for one another, the kind of forgiveness that we have for one another, the kind of caring that we have for one another, that all of those one another's are. This is the test tube. And this is where it's played out, especially within this body of believers. And the more that is strengthened, the more mode of operation that is, that that kind of love goes out to all people, to all people that's there. But I also thought about this, the context of Christians at that time in the first century were the most persecuted. So the Christians were the ones that were um, put in the arena, put in the arena with the lions. The Christians were the ones that were burned at the stake. The Christians were the ones that were not recognized by the Romans. They were like nobodies. They were disposable. They were deplorables, if you want to use that word. They were blamed for the fire in Rome. I mean, so they were, they were the most persecuted at the time. So that made me think, who are the most persecuted or vulnerable today? Who are the people with no voice that needs a voice to speak for them? Most likely you're going to go to the womb, and most likely you're going to go to the nursing home. You're going to go to those two ends. You're, you're, you're probably going to think of the homeless. You're going to probably think of the poor. You're probably going to think of those caught in sex trafficking. You're going to think of um, those that are under the thumb of another in great ways of injustice. So when I looked at that, I thought, wow, there could be, you know, we show this great love that we have for the family. And that pours out. Where does it pour out first? Well, it should pour out to the people of no voice. That there's somebody speaking for the ones that are most persecuted. And then pour out from there to all people. To all people. So this, this isn't on your sheet, but this is just me walking through it again. Deception can come in likes three ways. From others, from yourself, or from Satan. God is God. He cannot be mocked. And there's a universal law set up by God. 
A man reaps what he sows. In context, we apply this law to the spirit and the flesh. Following the flesh equals destruction. And if you notice in that verse, it comes from yourself. It comes from yourself, from your nature. Following the spirit equals eternal life. Now, you're saved already and you have eternal life. When it says eternal life, it, life everlasting, the greatest life ever, you're going to be uh, in the presence of God kind of thing. But that comes from the spirit, not from ourselves. That comes down from above. And if you want to jot down, always go back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 5, and you read about the great salvation that you have received from above you re- and, and the great inheritance that is kept for you. Kept for you. So one more slide here. Uh, there's a push by Pastor Paul to do what's right, but to realize that doing good can get you weary and weary enough to give up in doing good. How do we solve this when it's fitting? There's three F's here. When it's fitting, we act. When it's favorable. When it's a fixed event in the time frame of your life or where you're at right now, we act. We act without showing favoritism. And lastly, we put an emphasis on the family, on our church family. So I put down the last verse here, uh, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first the things of God. Seek first the things of God. And his righteousness. His righteousness are his ways. So seek out his ways. Of, of it is written, you know, following that. And all these things will be given to you as well. Well, all these things in that passage of Scripture is, you know, basically food, clothing, and shelter, okay? And many times we, we have a longer list than what we need, but we think we need them. But we got to get to a point where we realize that whatever God gives us is what we need. And that's what's best for us. So I finish with this story. Yeah, you guys can come out. I finished with this story. Many of you know this already. But um, so one plus one doesn't always work as two in, in God's way of doing things. <clears throat> I've had to learn this. So I'm sitting at the stoplight in Watoma, Wisconsin. And it's red. It's red. I'm waiting for it to turn green. I'm waiting for it to turn green. And all of a sudden, wham, I got slammed in to the back of my van. Push me into the intersection. I'm glad nobody was there, you know. So we get out. We look it over. And immediately the guy says, I I was totally at fault. I was totally at fault. I was totally at fault. So we drove over into the parking lot, called the police. The police came. He said, he went up to the policeman and said, I'm totally at fault. I'm totally at fault. He calls his insurance company. He says, totally at fault, totally at fault kind of thing and everything. So I had to work with his insurance company and had to go back and forth a little bit about the value of the van because they were going to total it. And I'm just like, oh, I bought it for $10,000. I've thrown $8,000 into it on the front end kind of thing. And so we had to make a decision. Like, like, do we fix it or do we just take the money and try to find another vehicle? And so we decided, well, we're going to keep it. We're going to fix it. And so I got the settlement from, from them. And I took it somewhere to get it fixed. And they fixed it for half the price. Half the price. So I got 4700 bucks in my pocket. You know what my quarterly taxes were? Yeah. Yeah, you know it. It was 4700 I took the 4700 
And I handed it over to Uncle Sam kind of thing. And then I just like, well, that's sometimes how God works. Sometimes how he works. He tells Peter, uh, go out and throw in a line and catch a fish, look in its mouth, and there'll be enough money in there for taxes for you and me. Now, how many fishermen out there have looked in the mouth of fish for money? Yeah, yeah. Oh. So sometimes we look for a lure, but God answers our needs in so many different ways. So many different ways. So um, I forgot to say this. We're going to sing this closing song, and as soon as we're done with the song, you are released. Because usually we have coffee and cookies. Today we have coffee and cake. Okay, coffee and cake on, on congratulations to Pastor Robert. But I pray that this message this morning has helped us to understand that he has good things for us to do. And may we not get weary and not, not give up on doing good things for the Lord. So let's stand and we'll sing to him and you're dismissed.